We're going to get right into things, though. Don't want to um, waste any time. So if you have been here the last few weeks, you know that we have been working our way through this series called Image Bearers. And um, so today is actually going to serve as the finale of our series. So it's a, a pretty quick one, but hopefully we can continue to give ourselves to these things, remind ourselves of these things, because this is really such a, a foundational truth for our lives. And so if you haven't been here, or, or maybe you just need a quick refresher, let me do that for you. In week one, we started by simply laying out um, this biblical truth that we see in Scripture that we are each made in the image of God. It's in the very first chapter of Scripture. We see it right there in front of us. And this is one of the fundamental truths about who we are, about what our identity is, and about how we should live our lives and so what we brought ourselves to in week one is the idea that if we are truly made in the image of God, that must first and foremost lead us to a place of deep rest and contentment. In other words, if each one of us are made in his image, that means that we are inherently valuable, we are intrinsically loved by him, and so all we need to do is remain content in that. We don't have to earn anything, we don't have to work for his love, we don't have to produce things in order to get it in return. We have to remain content in the fact that we are made in his image. That is the baseline of our identity. And then last week, we got into the idea of representation, meaning if we are the, the ones that bear his image, what does it mean for us to rightly reflect or, or represent that image? What are we to do? And so we talked about a, dump, a bunch of different things. Uh, we talked about these priestly responsibilities that we see throughout the Old Testament, what that means for us and how we can walk in those things. And so if you missed that, you can go back and listen to that. But bottom line is what we determined is when people see us, we want them to be reminded of whose land this truly is and who reigns supreme. We want to represent the kingdom of God and Jesus as he sits on the throne. That's who we are as image bearers. And so that's what leads us into today's message. And so before we even get into the concept that we're going to be talking about, I want to go back to some of the scripture that we have um, read at the beginning of each one of our messages. And so if you could go to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we will read a few verses and then we will discuss what this means. This is what we read. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
Now, this is an abbreviated version of what we read in week one. In week one, we really dug into this set of scriptures. We talked about the, the context of it and maybe what it might actually be pointing us to. But I also talked to you guys about how something very interesting is going on in the language of these scriptures. And maybe you caught this, but there's a lot of plurality that's happening in the words that are being used. And let me give you a few of those examples. For instance, Verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So there's plurality there that we probably wouldn't expect or anticipate. We move on to the next verse and it says, male and female, he created them. So there's more plurality that's happening. In the next verse, it says, be fruitful and multiply. So over and over again, we continue to be brought back to this idea. And as I said in week one, what this is trying to do is shine a light on this idea that, that we have this deep desire and need for relationship. In other words, inherent within our image-bearing nature is the desire and the need for one another. That is just who we are. That is part of our identity. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so my first point for today is simply this. We are not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be alone. Again, this is just inherent with who we are. And in fact, if you read a little bit further in the creation narrative, you will see these very words in chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, this is said in a particular context, but I very much believe that this is a universal statement. We are not meant to be alone in this life. It is not a solo endeavor. Deep within us is this relationship that we desire. We are meant to be communal in nature. And the truth is, is we know that. If we've lived this life long enough, we very much know this by experience. We, we know it in our moments of isolation, when we feel lonely, we feel down, and, and just what we need is some interaction, right? We, we need somebody to, to be there in it with us, right? We, we know this in our times of need, when we just want somebody to, to help provide for us and pick us up and, and help carry us. We even know it in our times of victory, Right, like, like if we accomplish something in our successes, it's interesting how um, within us is this desire to share that with somebody, right? Like we want somebody to rejoice and to celebrate with us. We continue to be pointed back to this desire and this need within us. And this is something that both scripture and science very much support. It's very obvious that as human beings, we are meant to be in relationship with one another. In fact, Time Magazine just did a really interesting study on this topic. And what they did is they began to research and study two different communities, okay? The first community was this very isolated, very secluded, very individualistic type of community. The second one was this village in the middle of nowhere where they truly lived life together, like every single day, they were learning from each other, supporting each other, living life every single day together. And over the course of time, what they found was pretty stunning. And that was really across the board. The people who were a part of this close-knit community were so much healthier as a result. 
Their, their mental health was way higher than that in the isolated environment. Things like depression and anxiety and, and uh, stress levels drastically lower in the community-based environment. Physical health, the same exact thing, much lower risk of health, uh, of heart disease, diabetes, cancer. Like literally our physical bodies react from this. Um, over the course of time, longer lifespans in the community-based environment, higher IQs in the community-based environment because they said there's diversity of thought, like they have to learn from other perspectives and, and actually have to teach one another new things. Across the board, they saw all of these benefits as they entered into true community. And, and the truth is, is we very much see the same thing throughout the course of scripture. From cover to cover, we see this, especially from our New Testament writers. They're gonna point us over and over again to this need for relationship, this need for, for togetherness, this need for community. Like it's, it's what we need in order to live this life. And I've talked about this one other time before, but um, in the New Testament, there's something called the 59 one another statements. Okay, in fact, you can Google that this week and look through each one of them. It's very, very interesting. In other words, 59 times where the New Testament writers will show us how we are supposed to live life with one another, how we are supposed to enter into relationship with one another. So some obvious ones, love one another, right? That is the, the most prevalent one. That's the one that we ought to look to most. We see that many, many times in scripture, but we see other ones um, like be patient with one another, that's a big one. That's a difficult one for many of us. Be patient, be, be forgiving, be kind and compassionate to one another. Like it lays out this really important foundation that we very much need to give ourselves to in ways that we don't understand. But, but we also see some deeper ones. One of my favorites is carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. Think about the intimacy of that, that, that we might come alongside somebody and say, hey, that, that weight that you're carrying, why don't you put some of that on my shoulders? Let's go. Let's be in the trenches together. That's what relationship truly looks like. Amen. One more, because I think this points to this community aspect, is we are told by the New Testament writers to serve one another, yes. to serve one another. Now think about that just from a high level standpoint. That in and of itself points directly to community because it means I'm not going to serve myself. I'm not going to be self-absorbed. I want to look out for the people around me. I want to build you up. I want to help you. I want to pour into you. This is the idea that the New Testament writers are trying to point us to. But here's the thing, and, and we often forget this, and that is that when the New Testament writers are writing things like this, they are living in a very different time and a very different culture. And the truth is, when they're writing these things, they understand a much, much, much deeper understanding of community than we do today. I mentioned this last week, but in our culture and in our society, we all live in our own little bubbles. Every one of us lives in our own little box. We are very isolated, very secluded, very individualistic in our everyday lives. In fact, just to be honest, our perspective is very narrow-minded. It's very self-centered. And I know that you may not realize that, but just survey your life and the way that you see things. You will very much see that that is true. Even if you live like in a neighborhood where you're surrounded by homes, it's likely that you're still pretty well just contained into your own little home, your own little living room. And in fact, research shows that one third of Americans have never even met their next door neighbor. A third. 
of Americans have never even met, never even talked to their next door neighbors. That's the culture, that's the society that we're a part of. It's very isolated, very secluded. And yet throughout the biblical narrative, as these New Testament writers are showing us these things, they're a part of these beautiful communities. I mean, we're talking about groups of people that truly lived everyday life with one another. And in fact, that was one of the bedrocks of their faith. Like that's one of the things that was a part of their identity. They did not look at themselves through this uh, lens of personal. They didn't look through this lens of themselves. They always looked through the lens of other people and the community. It's how they lived their lives. It's what they focused on. It's what they prioritized across the board. I mean, we're talking about with the practical stuff, the things that we do every single day, they would do it together. Going out and getting water, washing their clothes, preparing their meals. It was all done as part of a community. We see it with the religious stuff as well. We've talked about this before, but, but their synagogues essentially served as community centers. We, we read synagogue and we think, well, they probably prayed and worshiped there like once a week, kind of like we do, right? That's probably what that was about. No, they were there almost every single day. It's where their kids went to school. It's where they would share meals together. It's where they would fellowship. They were constantly there. It was all about community. And we even see this in, in the Mosaic Law. In the law that was handed down to the people, we continue to see it pointing to this idea of relationship. One of the really awesome ways that we see this is they were told to leave the edges of their fields and portions of their vineyards unharvested. You don't touch that. You don't take that with you. You keep that as it is so that if people from the community are walking by and they find themselves to be hungry or thirsty or in need, they can take it right off of your land. Like, think about, think about that perspective of community. Like, if somebody were to do that to us, how odd would that be? And yet, this was a part of their very law. This is their perspective. I think the, the best way we see this is through their hospitality. Throughout Jewish culture, we have seen this dating all the way back to Abraham. They were a people of unbelievable hospitality. Unbelievable. In fact, even today in, in portions of the Middle East, they, they will do this. They'll, they'll participate in hospitality in ways that you and I can't even understand. And they'll say it's because Father Abraham, this is who he was. This is one of the hallmarks of the way that he lived his life. In fact, um, in week one, I mentioned the Bema Discipleship Podcast, another plug to go and listen to that. I think it's awesome. But within that, he tells of this story where every year he takes his disciples, the people that he's teaching, and they go off into the Middle East, and he'll um, take them through Israel. He'll take them into the desert lands. And what he's trying to do is help them read Scripture through a different lens. Uh, he wants them to see what the writers may have been seeing and feeling in these moments so that they can better understand. But one particular trip, he said he had about 50 people with him, so 50 Americans traveling through the Middle East, and they're going through the hills and the valleys. And at one point, they're descending down this particular valley, and there's this village at the bottom. And he said, as they're coming down this hill, off in the distance, about a half mile away, all of a sudden, this group of children begin to run their way. And so he's thinking, what in the world is about to happen? They have no idea that we're supposed to be here. What is going on? And so these beautiful children, they run up with smiles on their faces. There's a language barrier, but they don't care. They grab them by the hands and they take them into the village and they go into this particular woman's home. And she has emptied out her cupboards and her pantries to make these people a feast. She's gotten every cup that she owns, every plate that she owns. She's gonna make them a feast. And he said for hours, 
they sat there and they talked and they ate a meal together until she was completely out of food. She served them until she was completely out of food. He said at one point they were sitting in the living room together and she said, I wish that we could just sit here and eat together forever. This complete stranger amongst a complete group of foreigners, I wish we could just sit here and eat this meal together forever. Unbelievable hospitality. He said it was something that changed his life forever. But he said what really impacted him is a few weeks later, he was thinking about this and he said, man, what if that was flipped around? And what if I saw this group of of Middle Eastern people who are heading through my neighborhood? What would my reaction be to that? (laughs) Would I send my kids out to go welcome them into my home? Would I empty out my pantry and my refrigerator to make them a feast until all of my food was gone? Or would I lock my doors? Would I close my garage? And would I huddle my children up in fear? What would be the reaction? See, it shows the unbelievable difference in culture that I'm trying to show you guys. We are to be a community of people who are hospitable, who are loving, who are living every single day together. That's how God has created us to be. See, the truth is, is we're going to have to break through culture in ways that we don't even understand in order to accomplish that. We have to break through the norm where you just spend every day alone in your home with your family. We have to break through the norm where everything is about you and how you can gain more and get more. We have to break through this in order to truly be about one another. We are not meant to be alone. We are meant to be in relationship with one another. We are meant to be a beautiful community of people. And I think it's time we begin to walk in that. Amen? Let's move to the second point. And that is, we are not meant to be divided. We are not meant to be divided. If we are meant to be in relationship with one another, if we are meant to be in deep community with one another, we also have to understand how that works. And that is not as a divided people. And so let's start at a base level here. Make sure we get a good understanding of where this begins. If we are all made in the image of God, if that is true of every single one of us, then that must first bring us to a deep and a rich understanding of equality, dignity, and value. Listen closely. If we are all made in the image of our creator God, that must first lead us to a deep place of equality, of dignity, and of value for everybody around us. That has to be the lens that we look through. If what we said in week one is true, that we are inherently valuable, that we are inherently loved by God, then that's true of all of us. And we have to begin to look at one another through that lens. Like we got a serious problem in how we look at one another, how we view one another. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what people group they're a part of. It has to start with this. This is one of the fundamental truths about being made in the image of God. See, the truth of the matter is to treat anybody less than that, listen, To treat anybody less than that is an assault against God as a good creator, and it's an assault against us who are made in his image. That's the truth. That's the truth. What that means is, listen, racism is an assault against God as a good creator and an assault against those of us made in his image. That means bigotry is an assault against God as a good creator and against those made in his image. Hatred. Hatred for people around you is an assault against God and against those made 
in his image. If we are truly made in his image, guys, we have to begin to grasp this. We have to begin from a place of love and unity. This is who we are as a people. We are to love one another. See, this is something where we're going to have to check our hearts over and over and over again. I'm telling you guys. I'm telling even the best of us. We have to check our hearts every single day with our prejudices, with our biases, every single day. We have to soften our hearts. We have to check our minds, ensure that it is always given to the obedience of Christ if we're gonna treat each other the way that we ought to. Again, I'm telling you guys, we cannot go through a series about being made in the image of God without talking about this, a fundamental truth about who we are as a people, okay? Now, I wanna transition that into the the kingdom of God aspect of things. We talked about this last week, but when we talk about the kingdom of God, this is another one of those obvious truths that we see all throughout scripture, and that is, as his kingdom, as his people, as his church, we must be united. We must be united. Guys, we live in a world that is so divisive. I mean, it's the coolest thing you can do is to disagree with other people, right? You have to be contrarian. You have to disagree. If you believe in this political party, you sit over there. If you believe in that one, you sit over there. We can't talk. We can't live life together. Everything is so divisive. And what Jesus calls for is a people to be united, to look past their differences and to come together and be about him. This is what he calls for over and over and over again. In fact, let me show you how much this comes up in our New Testament and in some pretty cool ways. In the book of Philippians, it says that we are to stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in one spirit. In that same section, it says, strive side by side with one mind. One spirit, one mind. In the book of Romans, it says, we are one body in Christ. That's who we are. Let there be no division in the body. We are one body. In that same set of scriptures, it says, with one voice, glorify God. Think about how beautiful a picture that is. With one voice, we are to glorify him. In Ephesians, it says, we are called to one hope. That's who we are. In the book of Acts, it says, be of one accord, be of one heart, be of one soul. In Philippians, it says, have one love for one another. In Philippians, it says, we have one purpose. In Ephesians, it says, we have one faith. In Galatians 3, it says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Over and over again, we're pointed back to the fact that we are one. Look around at your neighbors. Look around at the people in here. We are one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And if you don't believe that to be true, let me go ahead and share the very words of Jesus with you. We actually saw a little bit of this in our video, but this is one of the final prayers that Jesus prays during his time on earth and watch what he focuses in on. This is John 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. One of his last prayers during his time on earth is this beautiful prayer, God, make them one. 
God, God, perfect them in unity. This is the type of people that I have called unto myself. But did you notice the reason why? Did you notice the result of that? He says, may they be one so that the world may believe in me. May they be one so that the world would come to believe in me. What that means, listen, this is so vital, is that our unity is supposed to be a witness to the world of the goodness, the grace, and the love of Christ. Our unity as the kingdom of God, as the church, is supposed to be a witness to the people of who Christ truly is. This is another way that we represent the king is is by coming together, uniting around him. And if that is true, can we just talk about this for a second? If that is true, if we are to be a witness in that type of way, we better start changing the way that we see one another within the church. We better start changing the way that we handle one another, the, the, the way that we work together, the way that we see one another. I'm telling you guys right now, we better change the way that we do this because the truth is the church is so divided. The church universal is so divided. And and, and we see it all the way back to the early church. Honestly, even in scripture, right? Jews and Gentiles, you gotta split up. You listen to Paul, you listen to Apollos, you gotta split up. We see it over and over again. And as we look into our world today, it's the same exact thing. How many different denominations do we have within our Christian umbrella, right? And, and I'm not speaking against them. That would go against my, my message. But, but what I'm saying is we've divided ourselves so much that it's hard to even look through the weeds to actually find what the purpose is. Like, like what are these people trying to do? You know, what message are they sending? It's hard to even see that through all of the division. All, all of our arguments And all of our conflicts over all of these secondary issues, like we magnify these things as if they are the point. You go look on on social media, you go watch YouTube videos, people who are slandering biblical teaching and calling people heretics all the time. Like it's constant. It's constant. We are splitting apart the body of Christ and that is something we ought to take very seriously. We have to be very serious about bringing people together. Can you imagine, for real, just imagine for a second, if the church was truly united across the whole globe, how much more powerful, how much more impactful, how much more effective we could be? Listen, we could actually change the world. We could actually restore all things back to him. But we gotta do it together and it starts here. It starts with you. It starts with me. We have to be one. We have to look past our differences. Hey, are you a part of the kingdom? Do you call Jesus king? Let's go. Let's do this. That's who we ought to be. That's who we ought to be. One of the big problems that we have here is that we don't understand the difference between division and diversity. We don't understand the difference between the two. Because the truth of the matter is the kingdom of God is as diverse as any people group could possibly be. I'm serious. Representation from everybody. The book of Revelation says every tribe, language, people, nation. So diverse. People from every corner of the earth, people from every people group are represented within the kingdom. We are diverse, but Christ calls us to be united. Those two things can indeed exist. And I would say the same thing for our differences in theology. We, we obviously have to have core beliefs together, but, but the truth of the matter is, is we can disagree on secondary issues. We can have good conversation and, and sharpen one another and strengthen one another and, and challenge one another. We can do that and yet still advance the mission of Jesus Christ, still expand the kingdom. We can still do that. 
And see, the truth of the matter is, this is one of my visions for, for this church. This is one of my visions, that we would be the most diverse church that we can possibly be. I'm talking about representation from everywhere on planet Earth. Everywhere. Nobody would not be represented, right? Everybody represented. That, that we would have differences in secondary opinions. That's, that's a part of my vision, that we could honestly look at each other and say, you know what, I see that differently. I disagree with that. Guess what? doesn't change the fact that we're going to go out and we're going to impact people's life. We're going to expand the influence of our king. Guys, this is, this is my heart. This is my desire. I feel a calling to unify the church of Jesus Christ. I feel a calling to do that. And it starts here. Starts with each one of us doing the hard work of looking past the things that don't really matter, looking past the things that don't have true value on what he's truly trying to do in his kingdom, being able to come together and saying, Let's go. It's time to change people's lives. It's time to restore all things back to our king. That's who we are. That's who we are.